taking the time and spending it in his presence. Go to him. You say, well, how? By doing it. It's good to come and worship. You know, I just a reminder. You know, this is the first day of the week, not the last. Okay. Last week, however tough it was, it's done. Okay. It's over. This is the beginning of the week. This is the first day of the week. This is Sunday Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the first day of the week. So whatever has been, leave it there. <laughs> Let's move forward. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So if you'll take your Bibles, you want to read us from a passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Just want to say thank you. There were those that helped last week. I know Doug preached last week and he's begun the book of Malachi and he'll get a chance to finish that up as well. There's a couple of more messages from there to look through the whole book. And it was Mena, I believe, who did the, the, the youth talk last week. Was that correct? No, who did the... Doug did the one last week. Okay, sorry. I, thank you, Doug, for doing that one. So you did both of them. Well done, Doug. I'm going to read Jesus cleansing the temple here in beginning with verse 13 of John chapter 2. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And when he had made a what? A whip of cords. Wow, that's intense, Jesus. He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign will you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, um, had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when, he had, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in a man. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word to us this morning. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your holy word. And I thank you, Lord, that you have intent toward us today. We may hear your voice and be conformed to it. We may be sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth. 
Holy Spirit, I ask you that your anointing would rest on each one of us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. The 1950s, there was a revival that took place in the Congo. A number of the missionaries who were with the mission agency, it was known back then as World Evangelization Crusade. They've changed the name because of the issue of crusades. They call it WEC now, WEC International. And one of the missionaries that was out there, in fact, a number of them were actually students at the Bible College of Wales when God called them out out to, 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 to mission, many of them never expected to come home. When they were out there, one of them, I know David Davis, he was one of my lecturers at Bible College when God had moved in such a way. Now many of these had grown up hearing the stories of revival. Many of them had had their grandparents were in it and they heard the stories and yet, when revival was being poured out in the Congo, they freaked out. They actually spent days fasting and praying, saying, God, is this you? This isn't like what we expected. And God spoke to them prophetically, and he gave them the verse out of, out of, um, out of, out of Acts. This is that which um, a Joel, the prophet Joel, spoke of, where God poured out his spirit. So they wrote a little book. In fact, if you search on the internet, if you go on Google or maybe Amazon, you might be able to find an old copy of it. I have an old copy. I think I've got a couple of them actually. But it goes through, it's only about that thick. <laughs> and testimonies of what God did. One of the things that happened as they were approaching this time, God gave a, a, a dream, a vision to one of the locals. This lady, God spoke to in a dream. And in her dream, she said that God came to her and, and, and asked her, when you make a fire, what's the first thing you have to do? And she says, well, you've got to go in and you've got to clean out the ashes from the old fire and remove those. You have to clean it up. Then you put the new wood in and then you're able to kindle the fire. And God said to her, he said, this is what I intend on doing, cleaning out the old ashes and starting a fire that will burn. And God spoke to her, and when she said it, there was another, there are some other things that came out, but God broke out in power. And some of those stories will make your, the hairs on your arms stand up at how God moved in power in saving a nation, and that before it went to war. The beginning of Jesus' ministry now, they're, they're, they're this, where he goes into Jerusalem and he's cleaning out the temple, he, he's going to clean it out. There's, he's, there's something burning inside him. Now, this is the beginning of his ministry. It seems that Jesus actually did this event twice. At the beginning of his ministry, he went into the temple to clean it out. And then at the end of his ministry, the week, the last week before he goes to the cross, after he rides into Jerusalem as king, Hosanna to the son of David, to the king of kings, he rides in. The first thing he does after that is to go into the temple and clean it out again. Does that surprise you that he would have to clean it out twice? 
What is revival but heaven on earth? What is revival but God pouring out his spirit and the fullness of, of God's grace and mercy and power, his kingdom comes? What was happening in Jerusalem during those three and a half years? Heaven had come to earth. Heaven had come to earth in a body. God manifest in the flesh. And yet the temple didn't stay clean. Is that odd to you? Why would Jesus have to clean it out twice? Certainly if the Son of God comes to your house, he says, clean it up. He shouldn't have to come back three and a half years later and says, clean it up. You okay? Yeah. We've experienced some amazing things here over these last 11 years, some incredible stuff. And some of your houses got clean, but oh, he came to clean it. And, and you've just, and he's telling you, he's got to clean it up again. I don't know how Jesus felt walking in the world where nobody understood him. He, he could see, he could see where he was going. He knew what was happening. And everyone was pressing into him. They always wanted something from him. They didn't want him necessarily. They wanted something from him. I wonder how Jesus stayed fiery. I wonder how in the midst of all of the stuff that was coming against him, his mates who didn't believe him. One minute they did, the next minute they didn't. How fickle. Where he felt, he says, he couldn't entrust himself to people because he knew it was in them. I wonder how he stayed zealous. Fiery. How's your zeal? today. It's, uh, this isn't a stick. But how's your zeal today? What is zeal? Zeal is a, it's a white hot passion that pursues. It, it's, the kind of, it's the kind of heartfelt, I'm going after this, whatever the cost. It's, 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 it's Jesus, right? It's, it's, he prizes, he prizes, he prizes things above his happiness. He, he prizes things above his reputation. He prizes the purpose of God. He, he, he prizes it above uh, his own comfort. He prizes it above his own personality. He, he prizes it above his own well-being. He prizes it above wealth or stature or um, his status, pardon me. He prizes it above his safety. 
He prizes it above uh, his will and what I like and what I don't like. He said here in the scriptures, it says that the Holy Spirit pointing out to the disciples after they had believed. Here, John writing (coughs) by the Holy Spirit, the zeal for your house has eaten me up. It's a heartfelt, passionate fire that burns. Three and a half years, the dude didn't let up, did he? He kept going and going and going and going and going. How could he? So he was God. Hang on now. He came as man. Yes, he's God, but he came to walk it out like you and I, because otherwise we could just say, Jesus, I can't be like you. You're God, I'm not, which is true. But he walked it out as a man filled with the Holy Spirit as your representative. So that means, well, I'm only a person, but filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how we do what he does. Is this making sense? How's your fiery, heartfelt, hot passion for the kingdom of God? I've seen some of you started off so awesome. I look around, where are they now? What, what happened? This zeal of God. As far as I can see, there's four areas where the zeal of God, the white, hot, passionate it's almost furious what would make jesus the prince of peace go into a go into the temple with a whip knock over the tables knock over the money changers money the thing that they prized drive everything out Now I'll say he didn't turn over the people, he turned over the tables. But he looked like a threat. Was he? Was Jesus a threat when he went into the temple like that? If he wasn't, do you think they would have left? (laughs) Oh Lord, help us with this, please. Someone said it to me the other day about when Jesus tells you to do something, he very seldom asks you, he just says, do it. Why? Because he's king. He's Lord. And your obedience is necessary. First of all, I'd say to you that that Jesus' passion, first of all, was for his father. Jesus would get up, he would go out. Now, his days were filled and they were busy. 
The dude, John says if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, we wouldn't have enough space or ink or books in the entire world to contain it all. All the stories of every person he touched. There was no way that it could have been, been recorded, he says. Jesus was busy. How many of you feel busy? Nobody? Well, then I shouldn't, you guys should be fine then. You guys have plenty of time. But Jesus took time specifically to be in the presence of his Father. He took time. How many of you have read where Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's there and the disciples, it's the only time they get to see him up there in that private space. He goes up and he's waiting on his father. Whatever he shows me, I do. What he says to me, I say. And he waits in the presence of his father. And they're the disciples when they finally get to see what it's like to be in Jesus' prayer meeting. A cloud comes down and surrounds him. And the father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son, hear him. I'm not sure that that's the only time that happened. It's the only time it's recorded because it's the only time they were invited up. It's where Jesus goes and he's with his father and his presence is there and his voice is there and his word is there and he spends time. In the text, it tells us that Moses and Elijah showed up. Now that one's beyond me. At the very least, you and I can look up Moses and Elijah and we can read their story and their words in the presence of God. And who knows what God would do? But his passion was first of all for the Father. I was told in the service that the Lord said, the truth will make them free. So I'm gonna take the truth and I'm gonna stick it to you. How's your time with the Father? How many of you guys feel tired? I could tell the beginning of the service, people are singing. I'm thinking, what's wrong? Now, I understand being tired. I get tired too. But the Lord has given us a principle that those who wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. It actually means to exchange. Now, do you think God gets tired? Now, I'm not contradicting with Jesus. Jesus came as man. He's fully God, but he's man. Do you think God in, his, in the heavenly places is ever going, man, I need a nap. These people keep me busy. Do you think that that's the way he feels? How about this? What if you draw near to him and you minister to him for a while? What does that mean? Just thank him. You could start with the simple stuff like, thank you, I'm breathing, hallelujah. Thank you, my heart is still pounding. 
Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for what you've provided for me. Don't stay just on the natural now. Let's go higher. Thank you for the stuff, but even if I didn't have that, thank you for you. Thank you for your love for me that won't fail. Thank you that you'll deliver me safely to your heavenly kingdom no matter what, what I face. Thank you that you're on the throne and all these stupid people out there aren't. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one that has a plan for my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Minister to him. Parents, what is it like when your children come to you and say, thanks, mom, for cooking tea? You're like, oh, it's just hot dogs. How much more your heavenly father when you go, in fact, in Romans 1, it says that people's minds and hearts get darkened because they were not thankful. So go and minister to the Lord for a little while. Just sit in his presence. There was a word we had some months ago where the Lord says, when it was Joshua, take off your shoes and spend a while. Please hear me. It's not enough to hear the Sunday preaching. It's not enough for me to kind of give you a poke in the arm and a bit of an injection of something or other, give you a little bit of truth. This is your life. Taking the time and spending it in his presence, go to him. You say, well, how? By doing it. If you think the world's going to make it easy on you, if you think your flesh is going to say it's okay. It's one of those things like when the alarm goes off in the morning and you've got to get up and you're like, I don't want to. What takes over? Hopefully not your pillow. But you get up anyway, don't you? Ladies, when, when the kids cry out in the night and he's next to you going... <laughs> What do you do? Well, they can fend for themselves. Is that what you say? What do you do? They're vomiting, they're pooing everywhere. It's gross. Nobody wants to deal with that in the middle of the night, right? That's just true. But what do you do? You do it anyway, why? Two things, discipline and love. Discipline and love. Discipline and love. See, there's things you've got to do. You say, well, I'm a Christian. Isn't it all supposed to be joy? Yes, but joy causes you to endure when it's tough. When it's easy, you don't need a lot to help you. But it's when it's like, I don't feel like it, then it's the joy of the Lord becomes my strength. And how about this? It's not so much how you're feeling. It's what what brings him joy becomes your strength. We think it's all about us and how we feel. So we come to Sundays for a fix. A feel good moment. And we wonder why Monday, Tuesday comes along and it's like. How about this, What, what if? What if you just took Jesus at his word and you went in and just shut your door for a bit 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, start, just leave your phone 
out there. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a secret. There was a time where we didn't have those. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, they'd have to phone you in the house phone or come see you. And you could choose not to answer it. Both of them. So what if you just took Jesus at his word and just went in and shut your door for a bit? What if God was so willing to come down in your room like he did on the mountain? Don't worry about what you see because we walk not by sight but by faith. What if in your room the Father's willing to speak over your life and as you open up his scriptures to make the people who are alive in there, that their stories become more than real to you. See, Abraham isn't dead, you know that. When Jesus was confronted on resurrection, he said, God is the God of the living and not the dead. He said, when God spoke to, Abra- or spoke to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who were dead, yet they live. And what if God was willing to take their stories and make them so real to you, it's almost as if you could touch them. What, what if in your room, just with you, it's not for everybody else, it's not, hey, look at me, look how important I am, because it's level ground at the cross, but what if you were, you're willing to go into that little space and spend the time just ministering to the Lord and waiting on Him, opening His Word, and letting, letting the, the, the living text reach out to you and shape you and mold you and perfect you for every good work. <laughs> One word from the king changes. <laughs> and you know what it's like, even if you've had a bad week, a bad day, bad life, I don't know. And you open up the word. Have you ever done that? I don't advise it, but there's times I've done it. Right, Lord, I'm just struggling here. This is hard for me. I don't feel like doing this, that, or the other thing. Help me. And there was that one word. My heart melts afresh. And I hear his voice. And his love that's never changed comes flooding back afresh. There's an exhilaration, a zeal. Are you okay? I hope you're not, really, I suppose. Because the thing is, we tend to think if I keep doing the same things the way I've always done them, everything's going to change. I'm going to say that again. Right, let's make, I'm trying to think how to make it really practical. You know Evan Roberts, you've heard of Evan Roberts, right? The guy who God used to bring revival to Wales. When he first got saved, he was told by another godly man, he said, don't miss a meeting. That's what he was told, don't miss a meeting. Every time the church was open, don't miss a meeting. Guess what Evan did? 
Every time it was opened, he was there. Every prayer meeting, he was there. Every evening meeting, he was... Now, he had a full-time job working in the mines. But every time there was an opportunity to be with the people of God, to hear the word of God, he would go out of his way to make sure he was there. Do you think it mattered? Do you think it had an effect? Say, well, it's not about going to church. I agree with you. The building isn't special in the sense that, the, that these are like holy bricks or something like that. But when you gather as the people of God, Jesus says, I'm in your midst. And when Jesus is in your midst, what can change? What's too difficult for him? What's too hard for him? But see, we, we oh, it's just, I don't feel like it. Okay, <laughs> grow up. Grow up. Children say that. And as parents, what do we say? I don't feel like going to school. What do you say? Get them and go, I have a headache. Well, I've got the answer. No, I don't. No, that's not mine. Here's some cowpole, right? I'm just saying, is it that this is what happens, huh? Um, no, uh, you can wait to think. Yeah, it would be. So, if you, if you, okay, go and have a word with Pastor Claire, and then if that kind of fits in, we can see. So, when it comes to this, taking that time, and you're not functioning out of what you feel. See, the zeal that Jesus had was deeper than an emotional kind of high that he got from being in a worship service. It was deep within. It was a work of the Spirit of God inside him where he saw the purpose. He saw the direction. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he didn't do it reluctantly. He's not going to the crossing. Well, I wish I would have chose a different way. Or I really don't feel like hanging there for them today. His primary zeal was for the Lord himself. For his heavenly father. Everything else will flow from there, saints. Please hear me. Yeah, Liz. Um, yesterday I'd promised Paul on Friday I'd come in the morning um, and I also promised him I'd come to the fire meeting okay so I got up yesterday morning I was getting ready and uh, I had to take the dog out so I took the dog and did whatever got back and it was about 10 minutes before it was supposed to start and I thought oh, I don't really feel like bothering so I didn't come I didn't come, I stayed home. And I thought maybe I'll, I'll watch you on the television or something. And I thought, well, I don't feel like it, really. So I didn't do anything. And then I thought, well, I'll go to the fire night. So all afternoon I was getting ready. I washed specially, had a shower, everything. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I've been gardening. I thought, right, I'm ready now. And I sat down and I was thinking, ah, I don't really feel like bothering. So I thought, I promised Paul, but I thought, well, it's okay, it's okay. I don't feel like bothering. And then this morning I got up and, uh, yeah, I didn't feel like bothering again. I sat there and I kept thinking, I don't really feel like bothering. Well, I can watch it on the telly, can't I? I can just watch it. And then I heard... <sighs> I, 
Father, we just thank you for strength. We thank you for enabling to make clear you, your, your word here. And so strengthen her now to speak that those who are here may hear and understand. In Jesus' name. It wasn't like I love him. I was still love him, but I just didn't feel. So you were sitting on the couch, and what happened? You I heard, was just you heard what? what? What did you hear and again? And then I heard, just sit with me. I was thinking, but I don't want to. I don't want to read the word. I don't want to worship. And he said, just sit. Just sit. So I sat. And I was looking out the window. I just said, thank you, Lord. You called me to follow you. I kept saying, thank you. Oh, thank you that you got me up this morning. I'm breathing. Just thank you. And I kept, I don't know, I just kept going. And then I got in the car and came down in the car. I was shaking and saying, thank you. I just love you. I got in here and I could have levitated. I don't know how it happened. But suddenly I was so in love. So in love. I, I, and I, and I came from not wanting to do anything but just deciding that, yeah, I'd sit there not doing anything, but God, you can do whatever you like with me. And he took it. And I tell you, I'm so in love with him this moment. I couldn't care if I were hurt. I could die now, I don't care. I just love him so much. But that's since yesterday morning, not bothering. So it's over 24 hours, it's about 30 hours. Yeah, suddenly, within, I mean, I don't know, half an hour, and then I drive here, 45 minutes, I could have gotten right up off the floor, six foot, because I was so in love. Amen. 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 Bless you. So, I'm just going to say, I know this word is a now word. So, if I was to ask you honestly... How many of you have had those same thoughts, that same kind of feeling, if I use it that way, just blah. Okay, listen to me. There's an attack on your zeal, okay? It's a spiritual attack. It comes both from the enemy, he just says, just sit. I'll soak, I won't pray. Okay, I, I, I just feel I need to hit this. Sometimes, sometimes we're in prayer and you're just going, because it feels good, but you're not praying. Yeah. Praying is work that presses in. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times to do that, but praying is pressing in. Prayer is different than declarations. Sometimes our guys are up here praying and if this is you and you feel the correction, wonderful but you're just like, I declare this, I declare, pray, press in. Yes, there's declarations, but press in. But most of our pressing in happens when we go into him by ourselves and we're with him. When he called the disciples, he said, follow me. He said he wanted them to be with him. That's the main thing. Jesus in his zeal that lasted in the spite of all opposition that he faced was, I'm going to suggest to you, the source that he had was his relationship with the Father by the power of the Spirit to walk in that relationship. That that's the first and foremost. Lord, help us. 
That thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Secondly, there's a personal progression. There's a fiery um, pressing in for your personal progression. That you, <laughs> that he wants you to move forward. See, please hear me. You don't substitute your personal progression for ministry. Psalm 91. You know the psalm? We, we quoted it a lot during lockdown, didn't it? Psalm 91. Um, I'm just going to go to it real quick here. Let's see. There it is. This is what it says. You prayed it. Verse 7 and verse 8. A thousand may fall at your what? And 10,000 at your... Okay. <laughs> Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. So those who fall, God calls them the wicked. Now this is, this is a hard truth. Not everyone's going to make it. I, I wish it would be the case. Everyone was going to make it. It's not. I wish it was the case that everyone who said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. I wish that was the case, but Jesus says it isn't. Ten thousand will fall at your right hand. A thousand's at your side. That means that, that, that those that are around you, they don't what? Make it. Oh, this is... I'm, I just want to word it correctly. Are you willing for that? Let me read some text to you that might shock you a little bit here. Matthew 10, beginning with verse 34. Matthew 10, beginning with verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring what? How many of you guys sing that at Christmas? What did Jesus say? <laughs> so is the Christmas song right or is Jesus right? Well then. Jesus says these words, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own what? See, this is what happens. See, some of you, you've gotten saved. I know of a number of you who've gotten saved, and your family is not only just not Christian, they're anti-Christian. And you feel it. You feel it. You're, you're thinking, well, now I'm Christian. Everyone around me becomes Christian. I wish that was the case. Yeah. 
I do. It'd be wonderful. There are testimonies where those that are there, please hear me, those that are there endure through the difficulty, their testimony remains unwaned, and there's a testimony of Christ that stands before those, and there are families that get saved. But what I've seen more often than not, unfortunately, is that they start off and then they keel underneath and their testimony's ruined, and their family says, you're not even consistent, why should I believe? He came to bring a sword, those at your right hand may fall. Please hear me, I don't, it's not that I'm saying we agree or we like the idea that people perish, for God himself doesn't rejoice in the destruction of the wicked. But are you willing to go forward even if they don't? Your fellowship with those around you will affect how you walk. Those who you choose to invite into that inner space of your life, who you take counsel from, will affect your zeal. How? I was hanging out with Liz yesterday, and she was feeling that way. Maybe I'm over at Liz's house, and we're sitting there together, having a Coke, a cup of coffee. Hey, Liz, what do you want to do? Nothing. Okay, I'll sit here and do nothing with you. Tell me that doesn't happen. The kids say, I don't want to go to church today. So it becomes optional for you. What becomes optional for you, for their generation, they'll reject it completely. I don't feel like it. And what do you do? Those who you choose to fellowship with, those who you hang with and you let speak into your life. Especially if you're not spending the time with the Father, then the, the loudest voice in your life becomes those around you. Sometimes it's our own families. And we can be those then that just can't be bothered. When that happens, it doesn't take long for that coal to begin to wane. And it just doesn't burn as bright. We can feel it. I think at the beginning we do feel it. We're like, what's wrong with me? I used to. And then after a while it just, it's normal. So walking in zeal and power, that's for the extraordinary Christian. But for us ordinary folk, it's just. But you were there. And I believe God wants to restore your zeal. I really do. I'm like, Lord, just telling them they've lost their zeal, what's that going to do? This is my conversation with God. I'll let you into my little private space. And I say, Lord, if I just tell them they're, they're failing and their zeal is gone and they're not where they used to be, what good is that gonna do? Isn't that just like raising the law? And just how will it, it reminded me of what he says about his word. That his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It brings that division. It can separate, it prunes. The word that comes out of Jesus' mouth, our spirit and their life. 
And then in the middle of the service, the word that the Lord gave grace was that the truth will make them free. So telling and exposing this to you will help you to clean house. Start in here. Start in here. Start with the area that says, Lord, I'm sorry for allowing all these other things to crowd out my view of you. The opinions of those around me as to whether I'm going to do it. Evan Roberts was one person. We say we want revival, right? Do you want revival, Kashif? Then be the man. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Be the man. Nobody wants me to. Who cares? Then be the man. We okay? My, my goal is not to hurt you. My, my goal is not to, it's all here, a little smack on the backside. But if what I'm saying brings sorrow to your heart and it causes you to repent, that'll make me happy. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Worldly sorrow produces death. The zeal. Thirdly, I would say that there's a zeal for the church. When Jesus goes and cleanses the temple, he said, this is my father's house. This is the place where the people of God gather and their worship should be pure. It shouldn't be caught off guard with all this other stuff. Oh, I want to be careful on this one. I'll say it anyway, Lord. I, I watched a video of a church that was having their, I think, anniversary yesterday. They had, um, someone rode a motorcycle into the church. I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. Someone rode a motorcycle into the church. Hey, there's a motorcycle in church. Did a wheelie, okay. They had um, acrobats, some girl up on a, like those bouncy things, like hanging from the ceiling in leotards, um, in ways that I wouldn't want to see my daughter showing herself. It's in church now. <laughs> Had a falcon, I think it was. Had a bird in church. Maybe it was an illustration, I don't know. What, what's happened? It's our city. They were out on the bus this week and one of the young people that came said his mom does seances, does card readings in churches local. How? Jesus comes in and he said, this is my father's house. In Matthew or Mark, he says, and it shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you've made it a den of thieves. You've invited all the other stuff in. And we say, well, we don't do that here. Yes, we don't. But I'll tell you something. There's a standard that we've set. And I'll tell you, not everybody agrees with me. 
Oh, do a little bit more of this, Pastor. Do a little bit more of this. Maybe a little bit less preaching time. A little bit more of this. Do it this way, Pastor. Lord, help me. Because what's at stake? It's his house, but it's his church. What we choose to do here has an effect on what happens with you. Can I say this? I need your prayer. Please hear me. I'm not saying that our leaders don't see eye to eye with me. That's not what I'm saying. But the pressure to conform to do things like other churches, God forbid, Lord, help that this place will be a a holy place where people will come and find deliverance and freedom. And there's a zeal that's needed. And I'm telling you, it's not just my job. It is partially my job. That's my calling. I, I can't get away from it. I can't be a Jonah. I still end up having to do it anyway. But there's a purity for the house of God. Now let me remind you. Jesus said you'll destroy that temple. Or he says you'll destroy this temple. And they said in three days, I'll rise it up again. Now they thought he was just talking about the activities within the temple. What was he talking about? His body. So two things from that. One, it can be pretty dead and yet God still can move. Okay, you can feel like it's beyond repair and yet what can Jesus do? It can be raised up from the dead. So don't give up. Number two, you're the temple. You're the temple. What are you doing with your temple? Part of me wonders sometimes whether I should go out on a Friday night, Saturday night, go into town and see how many of you I see out there. Even Pastor Claire's birthday was wonderful. It was still godless. And I regret the way it happened. I'm telling you, I have no issues dancing a little bit. Okay, fine. And I thought you guys were well behaved as a church. I'm just saying that out front. I don't think anyone was out there trying to be rude or obnoxious or sensual in that way. We're just having some fun. I agree. I I, I see that but I also was aware that the only thing that was being played was things that didn't come from heaven at all. And this is no insult against those who planned it. It's, it's a revelation to me. I don't know, do we have any Christian DJs? I tell you, if you are one and you can do that stuff, let me know because every party, every wedding, every birthday that needs it will have you come and will pay you for your job. And you say, well, it's Pastor Claire's birthday. That must make it okay. No, it's not the dancing issue. Please hear me. It's not the having a good time and being together. Fantastic. But I was personally bothered as I I was thinking, Lord, am I just being kind of picky? But what happens with compromise is it just takes one step. 
No big deal. Don't worry. Don't be a prude, man. <coughs> Just take one more step. Come on. Everybody else is doing it. Just take one more step. It's no big deal. Nobody's going to be bothered. It isn't going to affect anything long term. Just take one more step until you realize that the distance that I've come isn't, I should be there and not here. The world will press you into a mold. Romans chapter 12, it says that it will, it's, its desire, its intent is to make you look and act like everything else, everybody else around you. Don't stand out. Don't be different. Compromise your light. Hide it under a bushel. It's fine. You got it. Keep it to yourself. Lose your saltiness. Don't really rock the boat. But you were called to shine out. You were called to stand out. You were called as ones who would make an impact everywhere you are. Don't be obnoxious. You know what I'm saying. Some people just get weird. But living the life of Jesus and letting that light so shine before men that they glorify your Father in heaven when they see you. Your zeal. Your personal progression is important. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. He, he saved you for this, that you would be zealous for good works. You'd burn hot. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. What? Zealous for good works. You're just being religious, pastor. No, I'm not. This is the fruit of real salvation. Salvation that doesn't produce good works is no salvation at all. You say, well, are we saved by our works? No, you're saved by grace through faith. It's the work of the spirit, the works of the fruit, not the root. But if there's no fruit, it contradicts what he said would take place. Abide in me, let my words abide in you. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. My Father's glorified when you bear much fruit. See what happened with Israel. <clears throat> By the time Jesus shows up on the scene, things are so compromised. They have no testimony to the nations that brings glory to God anymore. It doesn't change the fact that they're God's chosen people and a called people. It doesn't change anything about that. The temple stood as it always had been for hundreds of years. The gold was there and yeah, Herod was putting his money into it. But hey, why not take it, right? And he built it up. He thought it was his temple. In fact, they called it Herod's temple. By the time Jesus shows up on the scene, the one that they say they're worshiping on the inside is just shown up there. And they want him to go. 
the testimony of God's people was hindered because of the lack of zeal for his holiness. If you'll walk in obedience, the holiness of God will keep your fire burning. The fellowship with God's people as you spend time with them, it will ignite and rekindle. Those who you run with, you'll be like. We wanna be zealous for the world. We wanna see the lost reached. First it's him. Then it's personal. Then it's with one another. Do good to all, but to especially to the household of God. Uh, couple more minutes. Our misunderstanding of the gospel has affected your family. Let me show you how. When someone comes to faith, or pardon me, before they come to faith, we're going, hey, it's wonderful. Then they come in and you treat them like dirt. But that's what we do in our families. If you're a guest at the house, well, we treat them nice, isn't it? Do you have guests at your house that you treat in a nasty way? But how do you speak to your wife? We have a guest outside, a stranger in the street. Hey man, come over for a coffee or tea, whatever. And yet, how do you treat your kids? Our understanding of the gospel affects the way we treat even our own families because we think it's more important that they see something or attracted to something, but once they get in, it's like, that's not the gospel. Do you know God treats his kids better than he treats the rest of the world? Lord, help us. This is basic stuff, guys. God treats his children. Do you know if you're a child of God today that every single blessing in Christ in heavenly places he has already given to you? He has not given it to the world. The Holy Spirit himself, Jesus said that the world does not see him, it does not know him. The Holy Spirit cannot be received by the world. But if you're a child of God, the spirit of adoption is part of the inheritance that God has given to you. Forgiveness was purchased at the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God, you've stepped into a place of forgiveness. He bought it for you and he gives it to you. The rest of the world remains unforgiven. Do you see what I'm saying? He treats you better than he does the rest of the world. So if he treats you that way, how ought we to treat one another? but we think it's like it's all for them. No, it's for you. And it can affect the way we even treat our families. We treat those outside better than those on the inside. Does this make sense? We misunderstand a lot. Zeal, a passionate, sacrificial mindset that wants to see the world saved. Jesus 
when he went to the cross, didn't stop because of the way it felt. Didn't stop because it was on, he'd been up all night. I don't feel like doing this today, thanks. No one's happy with me that I'm doing this. They're all picking on me. Well, I'm not doing anything for them then. But the zeal of the Lord consumed him. He spent time with his father. His own obedience was learned through what he suffered, the Bible says. His eyes was to bring you home. And whatever it cost him, he was willing to pay the price. And in his zeal going to the cross, he said, I lay my life down of my own accord. No one takes it from me. This commandment I've received from the Father, that I can lay it down and take it up again. And as he goes and hangs on the cross, and with that voice, with that one event, speaks to all of history. And he sets it up as a beacon saying, come, come. He sets it up as a God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, come. Jesus didn't lose his zeal. How about rubbing elbows with him for a little while and letting him share that with you? Get rid of the junk. Present yourself afresh. Lord, pour out on me that my heart may burn. For some of you, it'll mean there are certain relationships that you're looking to get from that you need to find somewhere else to be fed from. There's some behaviors and choices that will have to change. The Bible actually says those who endure to the end shall be saved. I believe salvation is a package. There's something about God's ability as you come to him and he fills you up, there's something about God's ability to keep the saints, to cause them to persevere to the end. It's not automatic. Go to him. Everything that you need is in him. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we just bow in Jesus' name. Lord, I trust in your word. I trust in its power. I trust in your ability, Father, to perfect what you've started in us, to cause us to grow up in our most holy faith, to, to teach, to correct, to rebuke, to train us in righteousness that we may be perfect and complete and ready for every good work. So I ask the Lord, by your spirit, you would take and apply what's necessary for each one of us so that we may continue to run this race. We may go stronger from glory to glory and keep on, Father. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.